You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for January 23rd, 2022, the third Sunday after the Epiphany. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Dr. Justin Crisp. It's based on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31a. So I grew up as a kid watching Disney movies, and I'm not talking about the computer-generated graphics kind of ones that are, um, that are out today. I mean the classics of the tr- traditional animation period. Gems like The Little Mermaid and The Lion King and Cinderella and Snow White and my favorite, 101 Dalmatians. But don't tell my dog because she's a pug. But I actually had 101 stuffed Dalmatians as a kid. God bless my parents. They actually still have 101 Dalmatians, stuffed Dalmatians that we've never cleaned out of the loft. But I was also one of those kids whose favorite characters were not just the dogs, but the villains, really. I loved the villains. I thought that the wicked queen in Snow White really was the fairest one of all. I had a soft spot for the evil stepmother in Cinderella for her penchant for cleanliness. I so loved the lion cub Simba's evil murderous Uncle Scar that his song, Be Prepared, is still a crisp family reference. We still sing it to each other. And I dressed up, yes, there's photographic evidence, unfortunately for me, as the evil sorcerer Jafar at the age of seven. I had a stick horse for a magic staff and a construction paper parrot that sat on my shoulder for Iago. And I even more infamously, more humiliatingly, dressed up as Cruella de Vil as a 13-year-old. And yes, there is photographic evidence of that, but you'll have to bribe my parents to get it. Complete with high heels, a fur coat, a black dress, and monochrome black and white hair. I was into it. I was obsessed. And yes, I know all the songs. And I am tracking, and I hope that you are too, on Lin-Manuel Miranda's hit, okay? This is going on right now. You heard it here. His new song, We Don't Talk About Brew. No, 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 no. Some of you are nodding. This song is a hit. It's from the new Disney movie, Encanto. And it is a hit, I think, and my wife, Jewel, thinks because it is hearkening back to the great villain ballads of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Those schadenfreude, wickedness-laced ballads like Cruella de Vil, Cruella de Vil, if she doesn't scare you, no evil thing will. Or, you poor unfortunate souls in pain, in need. Or, be prepared. I mean, these things were great, right? I loved them. I loved, I love villains. But the thing is, they belong in Disney movies. St. Paul is writing this morning to a church that is sorely divided. The Corinth of Paul's day was a thriving port city. It was a diverse and cosmopolitan center of economic and cultural life in that part of the Roman Empire. It was the capital of the Roman province. It sat on the northernmost part of the Peloponnesian Peninsula and historically had been 
perfectly positioned between Sparta and Athens, so it had caught as a classical city before the Roman period all of the traffic between those two great Greek city-states. Paul had founded a church in Corinth some years before he wrote this letter, which was written around 20 years after Jesus died in the early 50s. So Jesus dies around 33. This book is written in the early 50s. The letters occasion, Paul says, are reports he's received that the church in Corinth is divided. Paul begins in chapter 1 by writing, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. And aside, I want to know who Chloe's people are, right? Those are people I want to meet. But anyway, it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, Paul says, that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. To this situation, Paul poses the question, has Christ been divided? And then he proceeds to argue in the rest of the letter that Christ has not, in fact, been divided. And that the Corinthians' divisions from one another are fundamentally opposed to the new identity that they each have as people made members of Christ's body. And that's where our reading this morning picks up. From the looks of it, the Corinthians' divisions were many and varied. Paul's concerns in the letter run the gamut from the dividing up of the church into the factions we just named, those who belong to Paul, to Apollos, etc., as well as rifts created by the mistreatment of poorer members of the church by wealthier, more prominent members of the church. He particularly has some concerns about the way the Lord's Supper is taking place in this regard. And he's also concerned about the turning of those having certain spiritual gifts, like the speaking of tongues, into an elite group who are apparently more spiritually sophisticated than everybody else in the community. There are some other concerns that he has, but those, that gives you an idea of what he's talking about. And Paul's intervention is to recall the Corinthians to the truth of their identity as spiritual members of Christ's body rooted in their baptisms into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, as our reading today began. If this baptism is real, Paul says, then the Corinthians are, in fact, really members of the same body of Christ, whether they act like it or not. And when they don't act like it, it's as though they are eyes saying to hands, I have no need of you. Or heads saying to feet, I have no need of you. Which is just ridiculous on an anatomical level, right? And that's Paul's point. It's ridiculous also on a spiritual level for the church. And in the passage which follows our lesson this morning, which we will read next Sunday, Paul enjoins the Corinthians to act in the way that befits members of the body of Christ, that is to love, and to love with love that is patient, love that is kind, love that is not envious or boastful or rude, and so on. It's that incredibly famous passage which we read very often at weddings. 
It ought not just to be read at weddings. It's most appropriately read on the floors of the United States Congress, or in a debate hall, or classroom, or at your Thanksgiving table. Okay? That's who Paul's writing to. That's the edge to guys' love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or rude. So when you hear it next week, that's the context. It's coming right after the passage we just read. Now, St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians is scripture for our moment. He could be writing to us, couldn't he? Writing to us, prone as we are to identify ourselves, not so much I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ, but I belong to Donald Trump. I belong to Joseph Biden. I belong to Tucker Carlson. I belong to Rachel Maddow. Insert the name of your favorite person here. And we do so with great existential intensity. In December, The Economist reported that 60% of politically active people believe that members of the opposite political party are a threat to the country. And that 40% say that members of the other tribe are evil. That is an alarming statistic. And Christians, I'm sorry to say, are not immune. When I got back from Tennessee last week, Father Peter shared with me a story on NPR about two churches in Knoxville, which is about 30 minutes from where I grew up in the mountains and um, where I went to college. The first Knoxville congregation is known as the Patriot Church. It's an evangelical congregation which overtly embraces the political platform and identity of President Trump as part of their Christian identity. When asked by NPR correspondent John Burnett, is this a Donald Trump church? A Patriot Church parishioner answered, I think it is a Donald Trump church. Donald Trump represented what we stand for as a nation. Another parishioner, Jim Willis, introduced as a 72-year-old retired army colonel, said this to NPR. This is a spiritual battle. It's good versus evil. And unfortunately, evil has taken charge. And we know what their agenda is. Their agenda is to close down churches, to get rid of religion permanently in this country. Burnett says that when he pointed out that President Biden is a lifelong Catholic who attends weekly mass, Willis responded, no, he isn't. The second Knoxville Church was a self-identified progressive congregation in the United Church of Christ, known as Church of the Savior. When asked about Patriot Church by NPR, particularly about whether this was the correspondent's question to them, there is any hope to narrow the chasm that separates these two churches in eastern Tennessee that both profess to follow Jesus. Church of the Savior parishioner Ed Sullivan said, if they view anyone who dissents from their point of view as evil, or the enemy, or of the devil, I really don't see how there's any kind of common ground that can be found. 
But with respect to Mr. Sullivan, casting our political situation as a battle between good and evil isn't just the habit of conservatives like Jim Willis of Patriot Church. I learned last week of a messaging guide for the Transgender Law Center, which sought to guide activists in, most, in how most effectively to advocate for the inclusion of transgender youth in sports. The Transgender Law Center's messaging guide gives a formula or a framework for how best to do this. Step one is open with a shared value. Effective opening values include freedom to be ourselves, treating each other with dignity and respect, and so on. I'm not going to read the rest of them. Um, so far, so good. Step two, and I'm quoting, is name the villains who violate our values. Expose their motivation of getting back into or holding power and position them as a barrier to what our families need. And then it gives this example. Some people try to get and hold on to power by putting us in boxes based on what we look like, where we're from, or our genders. They stoke fear, so we turn against some group instead of demanding what our families need. Step three, call out how the villains exploit divisions across races and exploit the lack of familiarity with transgender people. Step four, deliver a unifying call to action. So steps two and three of this messaging guide are name the villains and call out the villains. Villains whose names are some people, certain politicians, and our opposition. These are quotes from other parts of the messaging guide. We are today possessed, I think, by a new form of the ancient Christian heresy of Manichaeism. Manichaeism was the idea that the universe is the site of an epic battle between good and evil, fought by two co-equal deities, God and the devil. Except these days we don't have God and the devil. We have Donald Trump and the deep state. Or we have vulnerable trans athletes and bigoted conspiratorial transphobes. Now, St. Augustine refuted the old Manichaeism by pointing out that the whole world is created by God and as such is good. And that the real battle between good and evil takes place not transparently on the stage of history, but on the battlefield of each and every human heart and soul. Every human being being both a sinner and a saint, an imperfect and limited and terrified but glorious creature. But that's too nuanced an analysis for contemporary America. Good and evil, heroes and villains, that is the level of sophistication with which we currently engage in our beloved culture war. A war which we fight with increasingly religious fervor and whose battle lines cross in nearly every, every part of our lives cutting across and dividing our workplaces, our towns, our families, our friends, and our churches. Causing us first to identify foremost as people with political monikers. Not I belong to Paul or I belong to Cephas, but I belong to the Democrats. Or I belong to the Republicans. 
or I belong to the anarcho-communists, or I belong to the patriots, or whatever, okay? That's our primary identity. And second, it causes us to say of everyone else, I have no need of you. Now, whatever we might say of this behavior as citizens, I think I know one thing for sure, that St. Paul said some 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection changed the world forever, it was unacceptable for Christians, period. Unacceptable for Christians. Now, there's a great deal still to say about what St. Paul enjoins the Corinthian church to do instead of this, namely to let all that you do be done in love. It's a quote from chapter 16 at the very end of the letter. But I think we can begin to let all that we do be done in love by refusing to villainize even the villainizers who I quoted earlier in the sermon. I believe that the parishioners of Patriot Church in Knoxville are good people. I believe that they love their country. I believe that many of them, Jim Willis included, served their country and did so faithfully, and I am grateful for them. I believe that their concerns for our country are genuine and that their love for Jesus is real. And I believe that the people who wrote the Transgender Law Center's messaging guide are good people and that they are trying to do a good thing and that their desire to advocate for the rights of trans people people whose lives are characterized by unbelievable physical, psychological, and economic precarity is a good desire. And I think that each of us can begin to live into the spirit of St. Paul's letter by examining our hearts and our minds and asking ourselves which of those two descriptions was harder for you to hear and harder for me to write yesterday. And then to commit ourselves to praying for them. And not just praying that they would come around to our point of view. Praying for the good of their homes, their happiness and good health. That they would thrive. And that we would grow in relationship with one another and learn from one another. And that we would together come closer to the truth whose name is Jesus Christ. And then let God adjudicate that for us. And we should commit ourselves to praying not just for these people, but for anyone else whom we might be tempted to write off as our nemeses. Now, neither I nor St. Paul counsels that we give up on justice or debate or disagreement or judgment or, God forbid, the truth. It's not what Paul's saying, and that's not what I'm saying. But here's the truth. This is also true. The new Manichaeism is just as much a lie as the old one was. And I ask you, reject it with me. Say no to it with me. Cut it out with me. And put the villains back where they belong. In Disney movies.
You can find more sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanon.org.